show number 17 of I Read Comics with your fabulous host, Lena Taylor. Hey, kids. Did you know that if you cut a piece of fabric too short, there's no way that you can make it any bigger, even if it's spandex? I learned that lesson the hard way this week. I just wanted you to know that in case you find yourself in a similar situation. On this week's show, I was going to spend a good deal of time talking about something that I just got done reading, which is Why the Last Man. A lot of people told me to read Why the Last Man. They thought that I would like it. Or that I would think it was interesting, and at least one person said it was horrible. And I read it, and I'm not going to talk about it on this week's show, because after reading it, I found I had so many things I wanted to say, I didn't want this whole show to be about Why the Last Man, because I actually have a bunch of other things that I wanted to talk about, like right now. So I think I'm going to save all my Why the Last Man stuff for a separate little mini-show that I'll do like later this week or something. The short version is I didn't like it, and there are a lot of reasons I didn't like it. One of them is that it's... I guess it's not my kind of comic, so I didn't like it on two levels. One, it just didn't do it for me. On the other level, I think it's seriously flawed in a number of ways, and that's really what I want to spend a lot of time talking about. Not the things that I didn't like personally, but the things that I think are wrong with it and make it not just a bad comic, but a dishonest comic. So after I do that little mini-show, I'd be really interested to hear what other people have to say. Um, Part of the reason that people thought that I would like it is because it's about the last man in a world full of women, and it's been marketed in some ways as a woman's comic And that's another reason why I think it's dishonest, because it's not that at all. But anyway, I I don't want to get into that. Let's talk about fun stuff. Let's not make this a rant show. I have one little rant, but I'll I'll save that for later. The first thing that I wanted to tell you all about is that I went to my old comic shop in Berkeley, Comic Relief. Um, And going into Berkeley to do any kind of shopping is extremely traumatic for me. It's like I have Vietnam vet flashbacks because I was there for so long when I was in graduate school. And I always end up running into some linguist that I don't want to see or some faculty person. And it's just very, very stressful. But, you know, it's Christmas and there's stuff that I could get there that I couldn't get anywhere else. And um, I wanted to go to Comic Relief because I knew that they had moved and because I haven't been there literally in about five years So I thought, okay, now that I'm doing the comics thing, I should go and see. And I have to say, I was so pleasantly surprised. So I will tell you about this store. And I will also say that I would very much like to interview the manager or somebody who works there to talk about the comics biz and see what they have to say and and tell me about what it's like to run a comic shop in Berkeley, which is a pretty special place, really. It's not like other college towns. um, And the fact that it's so close to San Francisco means a lot, too. So uh, first things you need to know is that they do have a website. It's comicrelief.net. I don't think that you can order comics through there, but I'm I'm actually not that sure. They have some cool art and some other fun stuff there, too. Um, if you happen to live in the Bay Area, I would definitely recommend going to Comic Relief. It's right in downtown Berkeley. It's 2026 Shattuck Avenue. I will put a link in the blog for it. Um, 
I've talked about Comic Relief before from my memories of it when I used to go there because it was my local comic shop for a long time. I went in once a week and I used to buy a lot of stuff there. It used to be in a very small place that was long and narrow and uh, they had a lot of stuff that I liked, a lot of indie stuff as well as the regular superhero comics, but sometimes it was hard to find the things that I wanted, like all the Love and Rocket stuff was in the back, all the indie stuff was in the back. And sometimes they would put some displays up by the front of um, Japanimation or manga stuff that I didn't think was really appropriate to be, like, right when you walked in. So that was the old place, but I loved it. It it was great. Um, They just had things you couldn't find anywhere else, including the first time I ever saw things like videotapes of Gigantor that you could buy. Like, whoa, that's so cool. Anyway, so the new store is just around the corner from the old store, and it's in a huge place. I can't remember what used to be there. I'm pretty sure it used to be um, like a five-and-dime kind of store, but this space is easily ten times the old space. It's really, really large. It has a very high ceiling. Um, The way they've arranged it is when you walk in, all of the... There are cases all along the perimeter of the store, so you can just walk around it, and then there are tables in the center where you can see things. The thing that really struck me about it when I walked in is that it's virtually a bookstore. There are so many trade paperbacks, almost to the exclusion of comics. Now, they do have comics because I bought some, but man, do they have a lot of books. I don't think that's a bad thing. I actually think it will draw more people in there rather than just the hardcore comics people who want to pick up their individual issues. And wow, do they have a selection. It's pretty well organized. They have a lot of art stuff up front. They also have stuff by Creator, which I thought was pretty good. So if you want to buy books, like they have a big Alan Moore section, so you can just go and browse through all the trades of everything that Alan Moore has done. And, you know, longer things like From Hell is there too. Um, They have an X-rated section that I kind of glanced at. Interestingly, um, Molly Kiley's book, Tacopa Jane, was there, but I didn't see any of her other stuff. And uh, they have a manga section, they have a superhero section, and they have books about pop culture, which they always had, but this is a pretty expanded version of it. And just lots of interesting new stuff that's really attractively displayed, so it's easy to go and look at the new stuff and be drawn in by it. The display racks are really, really big, and they have all the superhero stuff in one section. They have an amazing selection of um, the DC and Marvel trades, the essentials and, and all of those things. I was very, very impressed with what they had. And it's in a really clean, well-lit space, which is nice. Um, Let's see. When I walked in, there was another woman there who was in the manga section. And I was there for like an hour. Um, A couple of girls came in with their boyfriends, but there were no other solo women there but me. But nobody hit on me, which was really good, although I could definitely feel eyes on me as I was browsing around. There were no female employees, but, you know, I was only there for an hour. Um, And the guys who worked there were not especially off-putting. They were not especially um, welcoming. They looked like comic store guys, but there was no bad vibe. So that was really, really nice. I was so happy that I didn't feel all uncomfortable being there. Um, I spent $42, (laughs) and this is what I bought. I found two really cool things that I was very excited about. So I got, let's see, here's my pile. I got Optic Nerve 10, because that's the one that he's up to. I got the new Love and Rockets number 15. And let me say, if you follow Love and Rockets and you don't have 15, you are going to be shocked. I was totally shocked by um, the Luba story that was in here because it's got this huge, huge surprise at the end that just blew me away. It was, (laughs) it's 
quite amazing. I'm looking at it right now, and I can't believe he did this, and I can't believe where it's going to go. Um, there's another Luba, uh, Love and Rockets spinoff called Petra, Luba, and Fritz, which I bought, which is also good. Um, two books that I haven't read yet. One of them is something I saw advertised, and I thought this looked great. It's called Superman, True Brit, and it's published by DC, and it's written by a guy named Kim Howard Johnson, who has been a biographer of Monty Python and written an awful lot about individual members. And he's written this with John Cleese, which is so exciting to me because I love John Cleese. I'm going to see him talk in January. And the art is by John Byrne and Mark Farmer with um, Alex Blayart. And I'll, I'll read the back to you because I haven't read this book yet. I just got it yesterday. It says, True Brit is a new take on the classic Superman legend. In this very British tale, the last son of Krypton's rocket ship crash lands in an English town even smaller than Smallville, where the infant Kal-El is taken in by adoptive parents, the Clarks, who raise their son Colin to hide his powers because the worst thing anyone can do is stand out in the crowd. And um, you know what? That's absolutely true of English people. So it looks really good. I'm, I'm looking through it's beautiful. It's on nice glossy stock and the color is great and the art is is funny. I mean, it's cartoony, but it's good at the same time. So I'm really, really looking forward to this. And the last thing I got was a book that I've actually been looking for for a little while. It was actually recommended to me by one of my listeners and I'm very sorry, but I can't find the email from the person who recommended it. So um, whoever you are, thanks for recommending it. It's called How to Be a Superhero. And uh, back in one of the other shows, I talked about this book called How to Be a Superhero by Dr. Metropolis. And the very kind person who wrote in said, did you know there's this other book called How to Be a Superhero? It came out a while ago, but it's hilarious. You'll love it. So I started looking around for it and damn, there were copies of it on Amazon for like $50. And I looked at a Libris and I looked all over the place and I could not find it for anything less than like 50 bucks. And I sure wasn't going to buy that. So I walk into Comic Relief and there it is on the shelf for eight ninety five. So I bought it. So now I have a great, great book that's worth $50 on Amazon. So I haven't read that yet, but I'll talk about it after I get done. But I'm so happy that I have it. So that was my comic relief experience. And it was very, very positive, And I was really happy. And I guess it's going to force me to go into Berkeley more often to do some comic shopping. So... Um, I will try to line up an interview with somebody at Comic Relief, but in the meantime, go to their website and check out a little bit of the art that they have there because it's pretty cool. So let's listen to some of that wonderful, wonderful music by Ginger Mayerson, and then I'm going to talk about the other new stuff that I've been reading. So I have two new things and one new old thing. The first thing, it's back on the Conan bandwagon. Um, <laughs> actually, I, I have two Conan things, but I'm only going to talk about one of them. The other one is uh, the next Chronicles of Conan um, with art by John Buscema. And I just got it and I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'll talk about that next time. But I also got 
because I just felt compelled to do this, the collection of the new Conan stuff that Dark Horse is putting out. And so this first trade paperback is called Conan, the Frost Giant's Daughter, and Other Stories. So the writing is Kurt Busiak, and the art is Carrie Nord. And I I had actually picked up an issue of this, um, uh, the not the trade, but the actual comic, a while ago in a store, and I flipped through it, and I, I just wasn't very crazy about it. And, you know, I have this thing for um, Barry Windsor Smith and I, I wasn't expecting it to be like his but I, I just wasn't sure what it was going to be and time has gone by and other people have said you know you really should read it it's actually pretty good and I think you might like it so I went ahead and bought it and guess what yay I like it I really really like it which means of course now I have to buy them all but I was really surprised by how much I ended up liking this after I read it um, there are lots of reasons to like this so one thing that I realized as I was reading it is that the issue that I had picked up for one reason or another had some art in it and maybe it was just the cover and I think it actually was the cover and it totally turned me off because the cover was not by Carrie Nord the cover was by a guy named Joseph Michael Linsner and um, he has the chapter break pages that are in here and they're horrible as a friend of mine would say they are damn hell ugly they're just really bad and I think that's what I saw and that's what I really didn't like so um, I can't really rip those pages out because that would destroy the book but I have to kind of put a piece of paper in front of them because they're just ugly they're really badly drawn and everything just no good so um, let's talk about the good stuff the art is really really interesting in here um, it's got beautiful washes of color. It's very un-comic book-like. It's much more kind of Hal Foster, Prince Valiant type, not with that level of detail. But it's really, really interesting. I really like the way um, they've incorporated a lot of actual text from the Robert E. Howard stories in these little um, typewritten uh, sec captions that are up at the top or at the bottom that go along with the actual dialogue for the people who are in the story. And um, there's a little prologue that kind of sets it up as when it's telling this story, so that, that works with it. It's not really very gory, um, although, you know, people get their heads cut off and stuff like that. The guys that he's with look like they should look. They're drawn to be um, the right color hair, you know, the... Um, the Aesir guys have blonde hair, and then the other guys have red hair, and they look pretty tough. And um, the the women are interestingly drawn. They don't all look the same, and uh, they're not there's there's not you know huge giant breasts all over the place, which I definitely appreciate. But the women do look sexy. I like the dialogue that's given them. Um, there's one whole story where Conan's pretty much not wearing anything but a loincloth, and I definitely appreciate that because it's nice to see him drawn that way. Um, there's not a lot of gratuitous violence, which is nice, too. He's not kind of hacking people up left and right. There's some humor in it as well, um, which has always been part of Conan's character, and sometimes you didn't see it as much in the original Marvel comics, but you definitely see some of that coming through here. If there's one small criticism I would make of Carrie Nord's art, it's that when he draws people from a certain perspective, like if they're sitting down and your perspective is being above them as if you were standing and looking down and they're smiling, it looks like they don't have any chin and or lips, and they kind of have this skull face thing going on, which is not really very attractive. It's just a little artistic tick that I think he has. But aside from that, I really, really like it. I'm just looking at it now, and boy, these colors are beautiful. They're 
in a lot of places they're very muted and and almost watercolor type of washes and there's a lot of really subtle background coloring which really makes you feel like you're in this foreign place that this isn't our world it's some other world that's close to being our world but not really and the landscapes are familiar and yet foreign at the same time there's things in them that look like they're possible but they're not things that you've ever seen before and the perspectives are like that too they're either from very high up or far down it's just really gorgeous so i am really very very happy with this thing um the the stories are uh, continuous in that they, they're following his travels and this is when he's a very young man uh so it, it kind of makes sense in a um, a linear fashion, which I also appreciate. I was thinking about the story, of course, The Frost Giant's Daughter, which is one of the Barry Smith stories that he drew for Savage Sword, which was then recolored, and it was in one of the Chronicles. And um, I like both versions of it. I like this version. I like the way um, the woman in it, the daughter of Emir, is drawn. She has this flaming red hair, but her body is completely white, and she has very interesting facial expressions. Um, it's really, really interesting. And then her brothers, who are uh, the the monsters who are there to kill Conan, are also really different looking. They look like monsters. They don't look human at all. Um, and yet he manages to kill them because nobody can kill Conan. He gets everybody. It's really very, very good. So, yeah, I, I recommend this pretty strongly, and I'm definitely going to continue to buy the other trades, and I will talk about them when I get them. So, yay for something new for Conan. I won't shut up about the Barry Windsor Smith stuff, but I do like this very much. The other new thing that I have, which I'm just going to talk about briefly, is a book that was sent to me by Fantagraphics, and it's a collection of stories by Carol Tyler. I've been a huge Carol Tyler fan for a really long time. Her stuff was in Drawn and Quarterly. It was also in a collection called Twisted Sisters that I got, gosh, more than 10 years ago. This is the first new collection she's had out for a while. The previous one was called The Job Thing, which I loved because it's all about work. And this collection is some some about work, but it's more about life and the things that have gone on in her life, the different stages of her life. It's almost all completely autobiographical, and she's lived a, a lot of things in her life. And I thought this was just a wonderful collection, and it's beautifully put out by Fantagraphics. It's a hardcover, um, and the pages are nice. It's nicely bound. The color is really beautiful. There's some black and white stuff in here, but the, the stories that are colored have her own style of coloring, which is clearly hand-done. Um, I, I like the way she draws people. They're very human-looking and very quirky um, and kind of cartoony at the same time. It's, it's hard to describe. Some of it looks like it was done with colored pencil, which I like also because it has that beautiful um, shading effect to it. She uses a lot of background cross-hatching and, and other things. So I, I love this book. I think it's really wonderful, and I absolutely want to interview her. So I am going to try to get her on the show so we can talk about this and talk about some of the other things that she's done. But I really, really like this book. Now, to go on to the new old thing, from my local library, my library score was The Essential Silver Surfer, which collects Silver Surfer 1-18 through 18 and the Fantastic Four Annual number 5. Mostly the art is by John Buscema, and there's some Kirby stuff in here too. And I have a lot of these. Um, I wanted to get it out and read it just so that I didn't have to, you know, open up the bags and take the books out. And I gotta say, this is the first um, Marvel's Essentials that I have actually looked at, like actually sat down and tried to read it. And it's really disappointing. 
the art does not translate. Color art really does not translate into black and white very well. There's so much missing from it. When I look at a, a like a typical street scene, of course, you know, John Buscema's art is great. He's a wonderful, wonderful artist, and he he does these amazing things with the Silver Surfer. But you know, here's a scene with a bunch of people standing around, and because it was in color, and you were relying on the color to to tell the people apart from the backgrounds and all these faces that are next to each other, it's like, it's so flat. It all blends together. It looks really, really bad. And in a way, it makes me sad because people who buy this are missing everything about it. You know, of course, the writing is great, Stanley, and and the art is good for what you can see of it, but you miss so much without the color. It's just not the same. And these scenes with him, you know, fighting in outer space and in other dimensions, it's the color that makes it. You lose so very much of it. Um, And with the Kirby stuff, too, you know, Kirby was a guy who knew how to use color. And if you don't have the color in here, it's just so flat. And I have the same feelings about, you know, color movies that you see in black and white. They weren't filmed for black and white. They were filmed for color. And the same thing about black and white movies. You shouldn't colorize them because... The director's artistic vision was for black and white, not for color. I love black and white comic art when it's done for black and white. I think there are great artists who are working in it. Those stories that were in Savage Sword of Conan, they were amazing, and they were all in black and white. It was great. But um, I'm just disappointed that it doesn't look so good. So I'm, I'm going to go through and read it because the stories are really good. But so disappointing. I was I was really sad. It, it you know I looked at it. I was like, oh, I don't really remember it being like this at all. <laughs> I remember it with the color in it. So those are the new things that I was reading. I have some other stuff um, that I need to go through, and I didn't get to the library this week, so I need to do that and get some more new things. So I want to um, take another little musical break. I have a very quick rant, and then I have another wonderful, fun thing to talk about. So be right back. isn't really a rant. It's more of a advice. And uh, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I spend a lot of time on the internet because I'm a geek. And I belong to like many different message boards and, and uh, Yahoo groups and things like that. And like everybody else who spends a lot of time on the internet, I see 
uh, flame wars and arguments breaking out constantly. And I've actually left a couple of discussion groups and forums because I was just tired of people arguing with each other. You know, there's enough of that in my actual life. I don't need it in my online life. But it occurred to me as I was reading through some of these arguments that they don't need to be arguments and people don't need to argue with each other if um, there would be some rules that people could follow. And I suppose this goes for real life arguments too, like if you were sitting down and wanting to talk to somebody, if you were having a discussion or debate. Um, So I, I thought that I would just point out a few things that might make discussions more fruitful if you happen to disagree with somebody. Now, this doesn't apply to anybody who, who doesn't want to, you know, actually argue to change somebody's mind. There are lots of people who get into arguments just to insult somebody or to prove that, you know, they know more and to be all alpha monkey-ish about it. So if, if that's the point, then none of this stuff really matters because all you need to do there is to, you know, insult somebody and leave and then you win. This is for actual discussions where you want to make a point and perhaps change somebody's mind or bring up some interesting points that nobody has brought up before, even though they might be controversial. So the point number one is don't ever assume that you know what somebody's talking about. So especially online, this is true. Somebody may be saying, well, blah, 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 and this is what I think. And you look at it and you immediately make an assumption, oh, he means this. And they may not mean that at all, especially if the phrase is somewhat ambiguous or if they're saying something that's really potentially offensive. Maybe they didn't mean to be offensive and and the wording is so ambiguous that it could be taken that way. So don't assume when somebody says something that they're meaning it a certain way. And the follow-up point to that is ask. When someone says something and you want to respond to it, say, you said X, is this what you meant by it? Before you make any assumptions and go off on like a three or four page thing saying how could you say such a thing in an argument, you know, just ask. Ask for some clarification. If people aren't being clear, ask them to be clearer and to say what they want to say in a way that actually expresses accurately what they're trying to say. Ask questions. People don't ask enough questions when they're having discussions. They should always ask questions. Um, And don't insult people. It really isn't effective when you're having an argument, even to very casually slight someone by making a reference to their intelligence or their background or or something. And, you know, the parallel of that is don't hold yourself up as the the icon for everything else. Um, If you are trying to make a point to someone and you assert something to be true, you know, back it up with references. And this is especially true on the Internet because, like, go to Wikipedia and dig up the link and just say, you know, you, you said such and such, and I say to you that actually you're not correct about that, and here's why. And then give them a link to say, here's the evidence that actually backs up what I am saying. You know, I, I find that this comes up all the time in stupid arguments that people get into about urban legends and things that they've heard on the Internet and, you know, just things that they want to, bad things that they want to believe about other people. And it would be so easy to just put a stop to the whole thing by somebody doing a little research and going to a trustworthy place like usually Wikipedia or, I don't know, Snopes.com or some other place and getting the facts. Because often when you have the facts in front of you, then there is no argument anymore. Um, And another thing is to kind of stick to what the conversation is about and not get tangled up in tangents because that's a really quick way for things to turn into 
much bigger arguments than they start out being. So just try to focus on what you're saying. And then you can have a discussion and not an argument because discussions are usually much, much more interesting than arguments. You know, arguments can be fun to watch, but they're generally not very productive. And, you know, who wants to sit around and listen to people arguing all the time? So those are my tips for having discussions online and having discussions in real life. I hope you find them useful. Um, And I was thinking as I was putting all this together, I should say the final point is, and don't argue with me. (laughs) You never want to argue with me. Okay, so that's enough about that little subject. And the last thing that I want to talk about is such a happy thing. You know, it's the week before Christmas for me right now. And uh, I got to watch The Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, because it was on TV the other night. I also happened to have it on DVD, and I was just watching it now. And I just want to say what a wonderful and perfect cartoon this is. It is one of my all-time favorites. I remember watching it every year as a kid. It was made in 1966, and it's been shown on TV constantly. Um, There was a point where it got so cut up on TV that it was like 15 minutes long. They just cut a lot of stuff out of it, including some of the verses of the um, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch song, which is like criminal in my book. But then the DVD came out a couple years ago, and now you can see the whole thing restored, beautiful color. The version that they show on TV is usually the restored version as well, so it looks really good. Could there be a more perfect cartoon? I mean, source material by Dr. Seuss. And if you don't have the book of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, you should go and look at it because it's really good. It's different from the cartoon. Animation by Chuck Jones. Um, voice by the the narration by Boris Karloff. The songs by Thurl Ravenscroft, who has one of the most amazing voices ever. You know, Tony the Tiger and all that. And also some voicing by June Foray, which it's always great to see her. Oh, it's just so wonderful, you know. You see the, the hand of Chuck Jones in everything about it. All of the humor and the tricks that he learned from all those years at Warner Brothers making Bugs Bunny cartoons are there. Every joke, every subtle character facial movement, it's its like perfect. There are still parts of it that when I see it, it just makes me laugh out loud, even after I've seen it like a hundred times because it is so funny. It's the, the most perfect Christmas cartoon. The songs are great. I was thinking about it today, and one of the things I like about it is that even though it's a Christmas and not a holiday cartoon, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, it's not as overtly Christian as you might think it is. Um, that scene at the end, you know, the the Who's are all standing together, and they're holding hands, and they're singing this somewhat hymnal song. There's no Christmas tree because the Grinch stole it, and there's sort of this ball of light that ascends. You could interpret that as being Christian. You could also interpret it as being kind of a winter solstice thing, or... Um, you know, just a, a winter celebration of the fact that it's the dead of winter. is a pagan thing, right? It's the dead of winter, but we're going to have this celebration because we know that spring is coming again, and we refuse to accept the fact that everything is dead because there's snow on the ground and it's cold. So I, I like the fact that you don't have to interpret it necessarily as Christian, and I'm glad that they did that. I'm glad that they didn't make it, you know, real real God or, or Jesus-y. Um, it, it's something that transcends that, and The message of it is true no matter how you look at Christmas or the holiday or the winter festival, you know. You can't stop it from coming because it happens, you know. Time goes on no matter what anybody does. The winter solstice is always going to happen. You cannot stop it from coming. Christmas is always going to happen. Hanukkah is always going to happen. The time of year will always happen. The seasons will turn. Winter is here, but it will be over, and, and you just can't stop anything from coming. And, you know, Christmas shouldn't be about the presents. It should be about other things. Um, and, and I'm glad that 
the cartoon is there to kind of remind us of that with, with the little who's, little Cindy Lou Who with her big blue eyes. Did you notice that the Grinch's eyes change from um, their normal color to blue when he becomes good? I, I think I always knew that, but I kind of only noticed it for real like a couple of years ago when I was watching it. I thought that was kind of interesting. So, yeah, watch The Grinch. It'll make you feel good. Um, this DVD, I should say, if you have a chance to buy it, if you're a Grinch fan, also has Horton Hears a Who on it, which is also very good, although not narrated by Boris Karloff. It's narrated by Hans Conried, who's just as good in some ways. Um, it has a couple of extras on it that are pretty good. There's a special that was shown on TV. Um, it was on TNT, and it was actually hosted by Phil Hartman, which I had forgotten about, and then watching this again, it was a little shocking. I really loved Phil Hartman, and I kind of, you know, like, forget that he died a horrible death. Um, and he does it in his best sort of Troy McClure fashion, which is good. Um, so that that's really nice. There's some commentary over it by one of the animators in June for it, which is, like, okay. There's some pencil tests that are good and, and a few other interesting things. Um, and Horton Hears a Who is actually really good, although it's very strange. And I would like to talk about it at in more depth on a different show, but I had totally forgotten how utterly weird it is. Um, it's not like The Grinch. Chuck Jones is a weird guy, and so is Dr. Seuss. <laughs> but I can definitely recommend um, this thing. It came out in uh, 2002, and I'm pretty sure this is the same version that they still sell in the stores. So I would recommend that. And I think I will probably have another show right around Christmas time or so, but um, if not, have a good holiday, and I hope you get all the comic books that you asked Santa for. 